How about we open up in prayer? Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the chance we have to just come and to, to worship you, to continue to worship you through the opening of your word. Lord, I pray that you would use this, this sermon to bring glory to your name and joy to your people and salvation to the lost. Lord, I pray that you are indeed glorified during this time as we continue to worship you. I pray, Lord, that I speak of you and praise you and praise your name and that you, through your Spirit, may use this for your glory and for your honor. And amen. If you have your Bibles with you, we're continuing our Advent series looking at Matthew. We'll be in Matthew 1, looking at chapter, verses 18 to 25. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, which says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being, just, uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and saying, in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you. Um, planning is fun, kind of, sometimes. Depends. It, it really depends on the situation. And as I have, have, as I have said before, I, I like to kind of try and think as much into the future as I possibly can to plan things out. And I had a plan. A couple of years ago, I had a plan. I had a plan, and, and uh, you know, Steph and I prayed about it. We thought that this was the wise decision. We needed to move forward. We had a plan. And we continued to move forward with that plan. Opportunity arose to, to, uh, that we wanted to see if we could take advantage of, and we began to go down that road. We continued to go down that road. To the point that it was almost a shoo-in. This opportunity was going to happen. Like in my mind, it was there. I was already thinking and dreaming. I was already there. I was done. You know, because, you know, planning. Right? And sometimes we get ahead of ourselves in our planning, don't we? And I'm sitting there and I'm making these plans. And I'm getting excited. And then I'm noticing that my beautiful wife is not as excited as I am. You know, sometimes uh, I have this tendency to get blinders on and I just get so focused on something that I don't see what else is always going on around me. And here I am, I'm excited, I'm, I'm looking forward to what God will do. 
And all of a sudden, I'm faced with this reality that what I thought was a shoe and what I thought was a guarantee, what I thought was going to be concrete plan, this is the direction that we're going to go, did not happen. See, Steph, uh, Steph would call this time the time that she thought she broke me. I said, no, she didn't break me. Clearly, I'm still here, right? But God was using this situation, this, this time to teach me some very valuable lessons as to whose plan will actually succeed. No matter how much I'm going to plan, God's plan is always going to win. And my decision at that moment of time as I was whining and complaining and being all pouty because my plan didn't work. I know. <laughs> was to do this. Am I going to trust God that he is good or not? This is what we see here with Joseph. Joseph had a plan. You can see it. He, he found this good-looking girl. It was going to make plans. They made a plan to get married. And then all of a sudden, this good-looking girl that he's probably thinking about little other little Josephs and Josephines running around all over the place, she's pregnant. That plan all of a sudden had a major kink in it. That wasn't how he thought it was going to be. So when we read these verses in, Matthew's, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, we come to Matthew 1, verses 18 and 19. But before we get to verse 18, we, we see verses before that, because, you know, it doesn't start at verse 18. And before that, we see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And here Matthew meticulously proves that Jesus Christ is indeed the right pedigree, that he is indeed from the line of David, that he is the prophecy that is about to be fulfilled. Now he goes to prove that Jesus is indeed from the right origins, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. And this is what Christmas is all about. See, as we look at this passage, we'll see that we need to learn to abandon our own plans. When we follow God, we abandon our plans, in fact. But better yet, we don't only just abandon our plans, but we become, we become more aware that God's plans are better than our plans. It doesn't mean that we don't continue to make plans. It doesn't mean that you don't think about retirement or, or you know, studying your tests. Make sure you study. I know. It doesn't mean that we don't stop making plans or looking to the future or dreaming. It just means that we hold them lightly in comparison to what God may have planned for us. So Matthew chapter, in verses 18 and 19, he comes along and says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Did you catch that in that opening sentence? There's a big statement here. Jesus was born. 100% human. Born just like every other child born. 
But did he also catch that other part? Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God with us. He is 100% God, and he is the one who will indeed save us. So as we break this part down, Mary and Joseph were betrothed. So this is the engagement time. This is, uh, this is an important time. Legally, in the eyes of the law, in the, lies, in the eyes of the culture around them, they were married. They, they had, it was a legally binding agreement. They, they were married together. And the only way in order to get out of being betrothed was to actually be divorced. Even though they weren't living together, this is what they were. They were betrothed. It was a done deal. They were getting married. And nothing was going to stop them. Except for God. They were, this, this was a formal engagement. And before they came together, this is when the kink begins to kind of come into Joseph's plan. Before they came together, before they had sex, Mary was pregnant. You got to think about Joseph. You got to put yourself in Joseph's feet at this moment. You know, uh, for, us who, for us men who might be married, we, we've, been, we, we've been excited about this prospect of marriage and we get to spend the rest of our lives with our, with our wife, our future wife, and we're excited about the, the, the future. And we begin to plan things out a little bit. You know, we're going to picket fence, you know, shutters on the, you know, whatever. Whatever the picture was of marriage in your mind. You've got to put yourself in Joseph. He comes along and he finds out that his wife, who he hasn't been with, who he hasn't had sex with, is suddenly pregnant. What do you do? It wasn't him. It wasn't me, he's probably saying to himself. See, Joseph had a plan. He was moving forward with it. He started to think about the future. But something that Joseph didn't understand was in the fur- further on in the, vo- in the verse, it says, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. See, God is the God who created the heavens and the, star- the, the stars, the sky, the moon, the sun, the earth that we're walking on, the trees that made the pews that you're sitting in. God made it all pretty sure you could make a virgin pregnant. So Joseph didn't know that second part there. That second part of the sentence was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But speaking of of Joseph's attitude, Matthew explains that the pregnancy was due to the activity of God himself through the Holy Spirit. So he's faced with this reality. This woman that he was going to marry is pregnant and he didn't do it. So the verse continues on, Matthew continues on, and he says this, being a just man. See, a just man, in this context, he's talking about he's a man who followed the law. The law dictated that if you were in a betrothed situation like Mary and Joseph, you were required to divorce. comes to the conclusion he must do. He's called a just man because he follows the law of God. His attitude is shown in how he does it. There's two ways in which you could divorce a woman. You could do it publicly where you shame her. 
Or you do it quietly. Or you just quietly give her a certificate of divorce and let her go on her way. So he, he decides to do this in a quiet manner as he continues on. So he was a man who followed the law and was set out before him. He observed the law. He knew that the law required that he would divorce his, his soon-to-be wife. So he had a decision. But then he goes and he considers it. He begins to ponder it. And as I'm reading these two verses, a question quickly comes to my mind. It's this. How do you typically react when your plans are disrupted? I know how I react. I hate it. I go and pout. I complain. I get grumpy. I really get grumpy. Like, how dare you change my plans? How do you react when your child decides to help you do something? which could take two seconds or suddenly two hours. When your health deters you from doing something that you plan to do, how do you react? When you're facing the tragedy, the loss, how do you typically react to your plans being disrupted? How you react to when we... uh, How we react... So when we have to abandon our plans depends on how we see God and that he is indeed still good. And we see the attitude of Joseph coming through here. When our plans meet God's plans, they will change and it's worth it because God is good. And he is good all the time. I was deeply reminded about this yesterday as I attended a funeral for a 30-year-old. You heard of all the plans that they had. They were going to go and build a cabin in the forest. He was going to move into it. He was going to go out east to Teen Challenge and get his life straight. He had all these plans. But they were suddenly interrupted by death. So as we sit there mourning the loss of this young man, we had the same question What is my attitude going to be with the interruption of these plans? Because God's goodness begins to be shown in his plans. As, As the passage continues on in verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to to make Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's not by a man, it's by God. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the Lord, what the Lord has spoken by the prophet Isaiah, which we talked about last week. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What an amazing word. But as he considered these things, verse 20 says, as he's trying to figure out how to carry out his plan, God intervenes in his plan. God quickly changes Joseph's plan. 
An angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph and overturns the strategy by casting an entirely new light into Mary's pregnancy. Joseph, this wasn't because of some other man. She wasn't unfaithful to you. She's part of a prophecy that I said hundreds of years before. And it's about to happen. I'm going to fulfill this promise. And I'm going to use Mary. And I'm going to use you. We have made plans. When we make plans, we have a very finite understanding of what is happening around us. How God is working. So when our plans change, we are challenged to abandon them to God's plan, but we have a choice. We, we, as, are we going to continue in an attitude of trust, or rebe- or trust and obedience or rebellion? Are we going to be the powder? Or are we going to just fall into his faithfulness and rest in him? See, God's plans aren't going to change. He's going to fulfill them regardless if you and I want them to happen or not. That's why he's God. He's sovereign. And what he says happens. We see that all the way in the beginning in Genesis. When he spoke, the earth came into being. He just spoke. Bang, son. It's ours. It's our attitudes that we need to look at. Our attitude doesn't affect God's sovereignty over the situation. It affects our relationship with the Holy God. We need to be reminded that God is indeed good. See, back to my decision. Back to my life plan I had a couple of years ago. I was struggling with seeing God's goodness in the midst of a messy time. It was messy. And I was crying out to God the whole time, like, why in the world do I have to stay here? This is not fun. You can ask my wife. Like, there was some epic ranting going on. Epic. I was, like, pacing up and down. We had a little townhouse. You could go from the front door to the back door, like the sliding door. And I was, like, up and down that place. God, what are you doing? I had a plan. This isn't a fun plan. This plan sucks. This hurts. This isn't fun at all. I had forgotten that my God is good. God is good and he is good all the time. You know, I was even reminded about that again. I'm going to just keep using the funeral as an illustration. You know, I was sitting there And I, again, Steph and I were going to this funeral expecting that it was going to be a total and utter flop. To our understanding, this young man wasn't saved. We were convinced he wasn't, actually. Utterly convinced. His, His life had nothing, he didn't want anything to do with God. He had verbally said that he didn't believe in God last time we were, that we had talked with him. That was a year and a half ago or two years ago. Within that time, he had hit rock bottom. And he sought out an uncle who was a pastor. And he began to stay with him. 
And God began to use his brokenness to transform his life. He didn't get it right. Let me tell you, he, didn't, he died at 30. He didn't get it right. But there was growth. He had professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and God began to sanctify him. No longer was he arguing with people for the sake of arguing. He actually began to listen to people. And God began to change his life. And he began to make plans. God had a different plan. God used his brokenness, actually, for him to be glorified. I went to a funeral yesterday, and the gospel was proclaimed three times. So clear. Unbelievable. In a room full of other 30, 20-year-olds who have nothing to do with God, who only knew of this young man's life before he knew Christ, the gospel was being proclaimed and openly and convictionally and, and passionately. The plans were exposed. There was a plan. But God's plan, as hard as it is, is better. Because that young man is with Christ. It's a plus. There's nothing better. And through that death, that we can't seem to reconcile in our mind. There's a hundred people that heard the gospel. God's plan is better. Even when it's hard for me to understand it, God's plan is better. And that's what Joseph's coming to this reality, that God is good. And he is good all the time. So he says, Joseph, son of David... There's a deliberate choice of words here. Matthew is forcefully telling us that something through the genealogy of Jesus is, is going on here. Jesus is going to be the legal son of Joseph. As he shall become through Joseph's obedience. This is going to be a fulfillment of prophecy made all the way back to Isaiah. That we looked at last week. God reminds Joseph of who he is. That he is the, in the line of David. And he commands Joseph not only not to divorce Mary, but to go ahead and marry this woman that legally he should divorce. God intervenes again. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This really shows the passive role that both Joseph and Mary had to play in this whole situation. God's plan will be fulfilled. God initiates the action in all of this. So in verse 21, it says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is Yahweh. Salvation, or the Lord, saves. And that's exactly what God is going to do. Jesus' ministry isn't about the physical liberation of Israel, but the spiritual salvation of God's people by removing the alienation from God which their sins have created. I love Christmas. I love it. Look at what God has done for you. Look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. God added to himself.
humanity was born of a baby, the creator, sustainer of all things, added to himself humanity to become a baby. Have you ever held a baby? That's what God became. So that he may grow up, so that he may die, and that he may rise again. That he may stand on the right hand of God and be our mediator. See, I love this. I don't think, you can't really see. I'm putting this down. You love, I like this. I didn't even plan this. But you see the, the imagery here? The manger with the cross? The manger points us to the cross. It doesn't end in the manger. We need to be rescued, and God makes the rescue plan. He starts all the way in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, and sin infiltrated humanity like a poison, like a cancer. And God initiated his rescue plan to save a people for himself, a people that didn't want anything to do with him, people who were in open rebellion against the holy God. Jesus was not so much the man born a king. He was a man born to be Savior. Don't miss the point of grace that is shown here in this passage. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Every time something comes up, my attitude really shows how much I trust God's goodness. And, and if I look back at my life, I really struggle with seeing God's goodness some days. In verse 22, this, this is something that is crazy to me. This is the word of God. It is trustworthy and true, perfect. And yet again, more and more evidence is coming through here. All this took place to fulfill that the Lord has spoken. All that had happened, all of history so far, including this conception, was the fulfillment of God's sovereign purposes, his plans that he foretold hundreds of years, thousands of years before. God's promises are being fulfilled. His plan is being accomplished. When our plans meet God's plans, they will change, and it's worth it. Why? Because look at 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. The child born of a virgin by a miracle that only God could do through the Holy Spirit will be the one who frees us from our sin. See, I really struggle sometimes, and I know there's many people here who are struggling with God's goodness. And I'm going to challenge you. It's difficult to remind yourself of God's goodness if you're not in the Word of God, which tells you of God's goodness. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, speaks of God's goodness. And it's hard. God encourages us to ask why. And he gives us the evidence of his goodness. You see this? Look at this here. Look at the situation. Joseph makes up in his mind, okay, I'm going to divorce Mary. I'm going to walk away from this. 
God patiently takes the time to walk with Joseph to remind him of his goodness. God walks with us daily to remind us of his goodness as we spend time in his word. And as the Holy Spirit works through the word of God, we are reminded that he is indeed good all the time. When our plans meet God's plans, they will change, and it's worth it. Our obedience is a yes to God's plan, as we see further on in Matthew 1, 24 to 25. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, Joseph's response in verse 24, when he, God enlightened him as to what was going on, when, when God said, this is part of my plan, God's respo- Joseph's response to hearing jo- God's command was obedience. He got up and he married her. And he even took it a step further. He married her and didn't have sex with her until after Jesus was born. Just for us to really make sure that this was a complete act of God. See, when confronted with the word of God, Joseph obeyed that God had commanded him to do. He finished the marriage process. He makes things official. See, our obedience doesn't dictate if God's plan will work or not. God doesn't ask for our permission. And the kingdom of God is not a democracy. He calls us to trust him because he's good. And then when we doubt that he's good, he takes the time to show us again and again that he is good. We need to remind ourselves of his goodness. The grace that he poured out to me and to you, that whatever you are going through right now is also for our good and for his glory. So what can prevent us from quickly saying yes to God's plans? There's so many things. In this passage, the focus of attention is, of course, not on the birth itself, but on the significance of the child, of Jesus Christ. On the role he will play in fulfilling God's will. Jesus is Emmanuel. The one who is born embodies both God's presence and his saving efficiency. The truth is that this story is a simple yet so profound Joseph appears as a very real person confronted with an understandable dilemma. Yet this righteous man of such little significance, because we don't hear about him ever again. You know, poor guy. Yet this righteous man of such little significance to the narrative on the one hand and such great significance on the other hand, He receives a revelation to which he is submissive and obedient. So what? Who cares? 
One question remains to me. You may ask, Pastor Nate, how do I know that God's plans are better? Tell me. And I tell you, look to the cross. His plans are better. Look and see how God himself made it possible for you to be made right before him, O holy God. Look at how he stepped down from his throne for you. Look at how God used the obedience of Joseph to use him as part of his rescue plan for all who would repent of their sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins and rose again from the grave. God's plan is better. Better than anything we can imagine. And in this moment of time, you may not see it. I'll give you that. In my moments of epic ranting and crying out to God and saying, this life right now is not fun at all. I did not see the goodness of God. But as God walked with me through that situation, as he brought people into my life to walk with me through that, as I can look back at it now, I can see the hand of God at working. Because it is is the will of the Father that we may be sanctified, as 1 Thessalonians says. To grow in Christ-likeness. You know, one of the scariest prayers I pray is for my kids. That God, you, that they may know God and they may be known by God. And that whatever the cost. And I was reflecting upon that prayer on the way home from the funeral. I said, at whatever the cost. As I sit there and I listen to a mother and a father pouring out their eyes at the death of their son. A son who's saved, who's spending eternity with Christ, at whatever the cost. What is better? My plan or God's plan? Do I trust in the goodness of God? Because when my plan meets God's plan, they will change. But I need to be reminded that it is so worth it because God is good. God's plan is better. And next time you're doubting it, look to the cross. Look at what he has done for you. I need to learn whose plan will work. I need to be reminded of God's goodness. I needed to take steps of obedience as I trusted God's goodness. So let us respond to God according to his word. When our plans meet God's plans, they will change. That's not an if statement. It's a matter of fact. Do you trust him? Do you trust him that he's good? Let us continue to worship him together.